This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. This morning on The Bottom Line, with the lifting of COVID restrictions well underway, we talk the nitty-gritty of COVID health and safety with Margaret Kirby of Health and Safety Review. And after months in the studio due to COVID, we're getting out and about. During the week, I visited Laurie Matt in the heart of Kilkenny City to talk retail, pivot and environmentally friendly lab-grown diamonds with Rita Shanahan and Colin Ray of Ray's department store and a leading light in Bagnallstown's efforts to develop business and tourism in the area will be joining us to talk retail, wholesale and the current business environment. But first, before we came on air, I spoke with regular contributor to the programme, Laura Slattery, media correspondent of the Irish Times. We we started even by talking about Mark Zuckerberg, the billionaire founder of Facebook. I put it to Laura that it hasn't been a good week for him or his business. No, it's been a historically bad week for Meta, which, you know, I'm still calling Facebook myself, but it it actually confirmed its first drop in user numbers in the 18-year history of the company. And this triggered a massive meltdown on stock markets in New York. It was actually the, the biggest fall in stock value in the history of the U.S. market. More than $200 billion was wiped off the value of uh, Meta's shares. Mm. And it's really had investors uh, worried. And of course, as you say, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg was caught up in that as a shareholder. He lost an estimated $29 billion from his personal fortune. So yeah, you could say uh, it's been a you know, really, really a torrid week for, for Meta. Yeah, but he's still left with unbelievable wealth. But that being said, this could be some sort of corner because for for many years, these companies like the Facebooks, the Metas, they could do no wrong. That's right. I mean, it's it's just been a story of incredible growth. And even when, you know, the original Facebook app was sort of seen as being a little bit uncool, um, you know, it was still growing in places like Africa and um, South America. And it was really just still taking off all around the world, even if people, you know, in Ireland and the the UK and the US were, were sort of over it. And of course, the company as a whole also owns Instagram, and, and WhatsApp, so it's, it's you know still got users, um, billions of users, but just it's just on that Facebook itself, it has it has dropped a little bit, and perhaps the signs there that it's um, fragile a little bit, especially where when the next generation is concerned, they're just not using it the same way. Mm, and it's not too long ago since Facebook changed its name to Meta, but it's more than a name change, really. Mark Zuckerberg is kind of betting the farm on the metaverse, really. Yeah, and the metaverse is this sort of uh, virtual reality, augmented reality world that uh, Zuckerberg thinks we're all going to be living in and he wants us to live in. He's sort of building the business infrastructure that's going to underpin all this and wants Meta to be at the centre of this. And um, Facebook um, employees that have been you know, working on, on social media um, over the years are being encouraged to sort of retrain in this metaverse uh, focus for the company um, but it's still quite unclear you know what that world is going to look like you know 
how much money it can make from it. And investors, again, they're just a little bit worried about <laughs> where this is all going. There's a huge amount of investment going into this. Um, but where the revenues, we don't know yet. Mm, and, and like we mentioned the meteoric rise and the huge growth of Facebook, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that it might have a corresponding shrinkage and, and the kind of, um, you know, the drops in value that they've seen this week are unprecedented. Um, you know, could be something very dramatic going on, but that's all to that remains to be seen. Yeah, I, I myself just looking at like the US stock markets, we're seeing very, you know, large swings, not just for Facebook, for companies like Snap, which owns uh, Snapchat, and, and, and other social media companies, as well as the likes of Netflix. And these, these companies account for a huge uh, percentage of the, of the NASDAQ and the, the other indices there in, in, uh, in Wall Street. And they're, you know, investors are, are running hot and cold on these all the time to the tune of, of, of tens of billions. And there is a capacity there for sure for something to go uh, phenomenally wrong <laughs> on any on any given day and for investors to be really, really burnt by this. Yeah, and, and when that kind of panic sets in, they tend to run for the exits. Um, just drilling down a bit into Meta or Facebook or whatever we wish to call it, there are the different platforms. Facebook growth, as you said, has stalled, but it's really perceived by many people as quite an ageing demographic that, that are using it. Yeah, I mean, even the company's own research has been has been telling us that, you know, teenagers, which are, of course, the, 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 the customers, the eyeballs of the future, you know, have long kind of regarded Facebook itself as kind of boring for people in their 40s and 50s, uh, even older than that, perhaps. <laughs> and uh, they, just, they just don't want anything to do with it. But perhaps of, of more concern even is that even, you know, maybe Instagram is under pressure from the likes of TikTok, which it, do, which it doesn't own and uh, that's the real um, fast growing story TikTok which mm. is owned by, by the Chinese company ByteDance and you wonder where you know where it's going to go next is there going to be another app next year that you know you know, steals TikTok thunder. Mm. <laughs> it's quite a volatile situation. Yeah, and I suppose the conundrum is that uh, people stop using these platforms when the ads get so obtrusive uh, and they feel the experience is interrupted. Another industry disruptor that has had a, a turbulent week or even two weeks has been Spotify. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, what, what's happening with Spotify is, is intriguing. It, it's actually the, the, the subject of, of a kind of a, a mild consumer boycott, but, but this has been triggered um, by the uh, Canadian singer Neil Young, who, who was um, alarmed by the amount of uh, COVID misinformation that was coming out through uh, Spotify's most popular podcast, the Joe Rogan Experience, which is actually thought to be the most listened to podcast in the world, has about 11 million listeners daily. But Neil Young decided, you know, they can have Rogan or Young, not both, he said. And a day later, lo and behold, he said he was taking his music off the platform. It was clear that Spotify had chosen Rogan. And um, there's other artists that have been supporting him Joni Mitchell, Neil Luffman, Cotty Tales and Nash, several other podcasters, including mm. um, niece of Donald, uh, Mary Trump. And um, Spotify has said, you know, we're not responsible. <laughs> they, they've put, they've started that this line. We're not responsible for the content of the Joe Rogan experience. But 
it's a little bit of a dubious position because it's not like, you know, this isn't YouTube. You know, Joe Rogan didn't just happen to upload his podcasts onto Spotify. Spotify did an exclusive deal to get the Joe Rogan experience on its platform and paid him about an estimated $100 million for this to happen a few years ago. Mm. Um, so... Uh, you know, it points to the kind of um, the conundrum of publishers, doesn't it, really? Because both Meta and Spotify are large media companies, but they don't carry the responsibilities of media companies. The Irish Times is responsible for what it publishes, but Spotify is saying that they're not responsible for what's on their platform. Yeah, and it actually told its own staff, you know, that although it is responsible for, you know, some of the podcasts it publishes, it sort of drew the line before it got to the Joe Rogan experience for some reason. And, um, you know, it did say it has removed about 20,000 podcasts um, from the platform that were found to have uh, COVID misinformation. But there's a problem with even if it does try and do a better job of of moderating this, because it's quite hard to moderate audio content and it actually has about 3.6 million podcast episodes on its platform like podcasts are sort of proliferating but they wouldn't <laughs> uh, be so popular or so profitable if they couldn't if they had to control their content yeah no they absolutely they absolutely wouldn't I mean they're just, just trying to have everything on it and you know they're saying you know if we want to succeed it means having content on Spotify that we might not be proud to be associated with. I mean, that's what employees were told this week. I mean, it's a very strange position, really, but it's perhaps um, indicative of the pressures on a company like Spotify just to keep on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It has it has 406 million users and 180 million of them pay to use Spotify. And yet still, you know, it's never turned an annual profit. So it is a very strange world we're living in. Absolutely, a parallel metaverse slash universe. But <laughs> while it's been a tough week for Meta and a, and a torrid week for Spotify, it's been a, a good week for a, a software developer, I think who lives in Manhattan or Brooklyn, and his surname is Wardle, and he produced a game. That's right, Josh Wardle. He's a software engineer, yeah. I think he's, he's living in, in Brooklyn. He's originally from Wales. And he made this game that I've been playing about Christmas time called Wordle, um, where you've got six tries to guess a five-letter word. And uh, if you're on social media, you'll have seen other people play this because this is kind of a a dysfunction that you can share, you know, how you fared that day. Um, You know, the the way it works is the blocks will turn green if you guess the right letter in the right place. Mm. Uh, And it'll turn yellow if the letter is in the word that you're trying to guess, but you haven't put it in the right place. And then the, the block will turn grey if the letter you've chosen isn't in the word. No spoilers now, please, yeah. Laura. Uh, we just uh, reassure <laughs> people. I remember today's word if I, if, if I tried. But the <laughs> genius of it is that there is only one word per day, so you can't grow wordle weary. Uh, and it's the things. same word all over the world, the world, <laughs> the wordle world as the well. World. Yeah, it is. And um, yeah, so that's thrown up a couple of, of instances of, of American spellings creeping in, which has been, uh, uh, <laughs> has had people um, complaining on this side of the pond. Yeah. But there's a beautiful simplicity to it. There's no ads, there's no pop-ups and it's free. Um, but uh, it's actually, now that it has been bought by the, the New York Times, that was the big announcement this week, they've paid a 
a low seven digit sum for the game it's going to join the New York Times games app and it will be free at the t- initially but we don't know if it's going to continue to be free mm. um, but the, so the, the, the spread there, don't know. we hear about uh, you know viral growth and all that sort of stuff but the spread of Wordle is off the scale there, apparently like 90 people were playing it at the start of November yeah, now it's millions. I mean, it, I think it was uh, three hundred players, three hundred thousand, I should say, players by by the middle of January, and now it's it's it's, yeah, it's millions according to the New York Times. It's yes, yeah. I think I think I think it is the fact that it only takes a few minutes of your time, and then you know you see all these people playing it on social media, so you're reminded to do it. And actually, the other thing about it is, it seems harder at first than perhaps it actually is, because you quickly you have six tries to get this word. You quickly exhaust the alphabet. So mm. And when you hit about four, you start getting worried. And then when you get <laughs> you it on do, six, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you do start panicking because you don't want to um, upset your streak. I haven't actually missed yet, uh, John. Oh, um, so Laura, I am, I, am, I am in awe of your word smittery, but of course the uh, Irish Times, renowned for its... Uh, uh, um, I'm struggling for the word here, Laura. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I lose, I lose my job if I, if I miss a word. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> Indeed, but um, an amazing thing, and it's interesting about the, the future of, of uh, the New York Times and indeed other quote-unquote newspapers because they've grown hugely and this is all part of their bid to get to 10 million subscribers. Yeah, and, and actually they said this week that they, they have crossed that 10 million mark because they that's because they've completed their deal to buy the sports uh, site, wow. The Athletic. Yeah. But if, if you look at just the numbers of new subscribers that they added in the final quarter of last year, it's something like 375,000, but only 171,000 of those were for the news product, you know, what we think of as the New York Times. The rest of it was for other products it offers, including things like its cooking app and this games app, which of course is led by the crosswords, but also has other things called letterbox and tiles and vertex. I'm afraid I don't know what they are, but they're obviously amusing. Yeah. People who pay, who pay a sort of a lower price subscription to, to have access to this app. Yeah, but the, 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 they've got huge ambition and not just around New York. They, they see themselves as very much a global player. That's right, and then uh, now they're targeting 15 million subscribers by the end of uh, 2027. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's all it's all on for the, for the New York Times. They're going to, they're going to take over the world, the yeah. world. Um, yeah, the world the world. <laughs> well, listen, Laura, pleasure talking to you. Uh, challenging week for Meta and Spotify, and congratulations to Mr. Wardle. Thanks, John. KCLR. The Heart of Two Counties. Heart of Two Counties, indeed. John Purcell with you on the bottom line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Good week for Wordle, but also a good week for Carlow Company uh, Strive, led by CEO Andrew Tobin. Uh, the company has secured some high-profile tenders in the UK and now plans to hire 15 staff there and investing a million in their UK expansion. Well, well done uh, to Andrew Tobin and everyone involved in Carlow-based Strive. Now, during the last two years, masks, hand sanitizer, contact tracing, <gasps> social distancing and screens and all that stuff have been part of the daily routine for every business that has kept its doors open. With all this changing with the lifting of restrictions, we thought it would be a good idea to have an expert in health and safety on the programme. So before we came on air, I spoke with Margaret Kirby of Health and Safety Review and before joining this publication, Margaret has amassed over 20 years experience in a variety of senior roles in health 
health and safety. And I put it to her that after the last two years, this aspect of business has moved front and centre in the operation of every business. Well, I think you're very correct with that. Uh, the whole role of health and safety has really uh, climaxed over the last couple of years and it's become more important to the employer and to the employee. And there's a lot of health and safety language that has now come into everyday language towards PPE and uh, FFP, FFP to face mask, it's suddenly become common language for people. So it's it's good in lots of ways and lots of employees, you know, want to see a lot of health and safety practice in the workplace, especially because it is such a, an impact on everyday life. It's not only relevant to what we do in our job, it's, it's so relevant to our families and to our home life as well. So yeah, health and safety has definitely grown over the last couple of years. And in absolutely every workplace and home, it was important. Yes, for sure. And a lot of our readers um, with the Health and Safety Review, they come from so many different backgrounds. We have people from manufacturing, construction, retail, transport and storage, you know, people that work in, in offices, financial centres, education. It's, there's no sector that has been untouched um, by all of the different changes that have come into play over the last couple of years. Yeah, one of the features, I suppose, was uh, the difficulty and the challenge of keeping up with the changing and Involving uh, restrictions, requirements, and so on. That must have been quite a thing. We had different phases for a while. We had different levels of restrictions in different parts of the country. We had easings of lockdowns and so on. When you cast your mind yeah. back, it was really huge. Yes, yes. And I, I think, you know, businesses have had to work really hard to try and keep up to date and to stay compliant with legislation, with good practice. And the main piece of, I suppose, information that was changing many times during the last couple of years was the Work Safely Protocol. And that was being issued by the Department of Enterprise at various intervals during the last couple of years and one of the things that we've worked very hard at in the health and safety review is just taking this complex information and putting it into a format that somebody in a business environment whether they're a health and safety person or whether they're the, the, the manager of the workforce they can just take this information it's simple it's concise it spells out what they need to do and they can adapt it into their own work procedures into their own risk assessments or training documentation so yeah, it's 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 been challenging for businesses to pick out, well, what do I need to do in my work environment? And that's something that the Health and Safety Review has been very active in just trying to make that information as simple and as easy as possible for our readers. Now, just uh, a little over two weeks ago, uh, the government surprised many people by more or less lifting all the restrictions, uh, it seems. But uh, on the 31st of January, uh, Tánis de Leo Varadkar, who's, of course, the Minister with Respect, Responsibility uh, for Business uh, published a transitional protocol of good practice and that covers areas of requirements but also good practice. Can you take us through it and first tell us, you know, face masks, uh, what are the restrictions, if any, that re- remain and, and what's best practice? Okay, well the, the protocol, um, John, as you mentioned, came out on the 31st of January and um, 
like the protocol has been reduced from a 70 page document to I think it's just over 17 pages at this stage so as you said a lot of the restrictions have been dropped and that's quite a big uh, change for both employers and employees and you know the the issue around face masks there's been so much talk about face masks over the last two years and when to wear one when not to wear one what type of face mask to wear between the, the medical mask the surgical mask the FFP2 mask so where we're at now with the transitional protocol um, they've brought in changes that uh, face masks are no are, they have made changes that a face mask is only required in certain work environments and that's uh, related to public transport things like taxis if you're in a retail premises like a shop if you're in a public office and uh, in premises where food has been prepared and served so that's a big change for a lot of businesses because we would have just been getting our heads around that we you know if we're working in an office environment we must wear a face mask and this requirement is there until uh, February 28 at the moment and again this could change uh, you know around that time again so we're going to have to watch the legislation connected to the wearing of face masks and that's not to say there's some employees you know they may be going back to uh, a work environment or already in it and they might want to continue wearing a face mask because it does offer a certain level of reassurance and that can be either physically for other people looking at them or for the person themselves and we have to bear in mind some people also might have particular health issues where they they might be more susceptible and if they're more comfortable wearing a face mask whether it's a a requirement or not you know it remains uh, it remains down to the employer to, to do a risk assessment around it as well mm. so yeah face masks it's a it's a hot topic you know and I don't think they're I think they will remain part of our future in some form or other yeah uh, maybe not uh, legislatively required but uh, you know advised and people often feel safer with them moving on yeah. to another thing uh, contact logs and people for over the last two years required to sign in and sign out and all that sort of stuff. Where's um, the requirement in relation to that at the moment and where does it stand vis-a-vis requirements anyway on employers to, to know where their staff are? Yeah, so, you know, contact logs were a, a very big part of the first uh, protocols and if someone was coming into a workplace that they would have to sign in and their contact details, name and phone number and all of that was being stringently recorded. It's now moved away from that where there's a, I suppose, a more of a focus on that if there was an outbreak of COVID in a workplace that there would be some history or record of the people that uh, had been in that workplace or that were present at that time so it's it's not as stringent as the official contact log that we were familiar with, but it, it is there is still requirements around recording the details of people um, that may have come into the premises and been there in the event that the COVID there's a COVID outbreak in that premises. So you know it's it's still there that we still need to have records around uh, people coming into the workplace. Yeah. Now, one of the things, I was in a, a premises last week and I saw on the floor big marks and I kinda, it dawned on me that those were where they had marks for people physically distancing and they'd taken them up uh, pretty much yes. after uh, the, the yeah. government announcement. What's the requirement on employers in relation to the two metre physical distancing now in offices and workplaces? Okay, well... The The two metre distancing is something that has caused a lot of businesses challenges over the last two years, as you can imagine, because a lot of workplaces would have struggled to provide that level of distance between their workers. And 
a big change in this protocol is the two metre distance uh, is gone and, and that's quite a dramatic change because people are so I suppose used to hearing this message and seeing the signage and uh, standing a certain distance away from others and we've become nearly ingrained that this is the way we live our lives so it's it's a big change because even I was speaking to a business owner there last week and he was talking to me about people in the canteen you know th- before this transitional protocol came in they had segregation barriers between uh, their staff sitting in the canteen and there were screens between them and staff felt safer and now they're allowed to sit side by side and and that's okay that's in compliance with this guidance document but at the same time I suppose being in business like you have to be aware that some people might not be totally comfortable with that straight away mm. and it's all about I think talking to talking to your staff and communicating really well with them as to what they're actually comfortable with too just because the, the distance requirement is gone uh, it will still take some time for people to become used to this change in behaviour because it is a significant change in behaviour and it's, it's a very visible one when you walk into a space whether it's an office a canteen a manufacturing floor you see straight away how close or not people are to each other and we have to I suppose become comfortable with the idea well it's okay for me to be closer now than it was a week ago so that that will take time and you know good good communication with staff uh, is so important around this time and it's it's about talking to staff and you know listening to them if they are concerned about any of these changes if they do want to maintain a certain level of physical distancing is what they call it now you know it's really about working with staff to just make sure that if some of these things need to be carried on for a little bit longer until they're more comfortable well that's okay too mm. finally and um, briefly um hand washing and you know hand sanitizer keeping windows open ventilation presumably yes. all that stuff is still very important Yes, that, that still stands and we've all been, I suppose, well trained in all of those aspects of hand hygiene and, you know, coughing into our elbow. The ventilation aspect of it, John, is very much uh, a big topic and it's going to be important for anyone in business to examine their ventilation systems, especially if they have, you know, an older building. and doing a ventilation assessment putting it into your risk assessment documentation it's all going to be i suppose something that's going to stay with us for the foreseeable future and you know a lot of people will need some sort of support and advice around well how do i know if my ventilation is good enough this this is an airborne virus and it's something that travels when we breathe so ventilation and plenty of fresh air is going to be so critical to make sure that people are, are happy in workspaces so it's something I think um, businesses will just have to keep on their radar and they'll probably just need to make sure that they do have a, a ventilation assessment of their workplace done where they're looking at have I got natural ventilation, mechanical ventilation, how do I improve ventilation so I bring in plenty of fresh air without impacting on thermal comfort of my staff and um, how many people are in the space, how how much what type of activities are done this is the type of thing that employers and businesses will have to look at in terms of looking at ventilation in their own workspaces and all of this stuff that I've talked about you know ventilation and uh, physical distancing and 
all of it has to go back into the business's safety statement and risk assessment, John. And I'll, I'll stress that because that's a legal requirement. The risk assessment documentation is a legal requirement under the Health and Safety at Work Act. And whatever a person, an employer, does in the workspace, they change it. If they introduce, uh, you know, new requirements, it's just to make sure that they tie in whatever is happening in reality with their paperwork, because all all of that is key to compliance under health and safety legislation. Okay, Margaret. Well, a pleasure talking to you. That's Margaret Kirby, uh, correspondent with Health and Safety Review. Ie. Thanks for joining us this morning, Margaret. Thanks so much, John. It's been a pleasure. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. Now, one of the things I've missed most during the last two years of COVID has been the freedom to leave this studio, get out and meet people in their businesses. Hopefully, all that can now change in the coming weeks and months. Well, as a start, during the week, I dropped into Laurie Matt in Patrick Street, Kilkenny, to meet proprietor Rita Shanahan. I started our conversation by asking Rita to tell me a bit about the history of Laurie Matt. Hi John, uh, Laurie Mash has been in operation since 1993, so a few years now. Um, I was more or less reared in the business. My mum had it, first of all, across the road here in Butler Court on Patrick Street and she moved down to Kieran Street then. Um, and then in 2018, so that's four years ago now, January four years ago, we moved to this gorgeous room here on the first floor at 24 Patrick Street. And what's your business? I can see lots of really alluring looking glass cases around the place but this is radio so just describe uh, what you sell to people and what, what, what your business is all about. So the main focus of our business would be engagement rings, wedding rings and eternity rings. Uh, we also offer uh, redesign um, consultations for people who might have inherited a ring or might have an engagement ring that they want to make bigger and enhance um, so we do full consultations on that as well. So you can see in our room here we have our table in the centre of the room, we bring people in, we sit them down and offer them a cup of tea or coffee and go through the whole process, whether they're looking for that gorgeous diamond sparkly engagement ring or they've got the engagement ring and they're coming back to us to look for their wedding bands for their big day. We hear a lot about bricks and mortar retail and we hear about shops, but this isn't exactly a shop. Um, Describe that whole thing and how you feel about your your physical manifestation of, of Lorimat. How do you describe it? It's Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, and I think it took a f- people a while to get their head around the, the idea and I suppose the vision I had for Lorimat when we made that huge move from a retail, a ground floor retail shop with a shop window to a first floor showroom um, that's that's tucked away and we are quite tucked away um, at, you know, and, and I suppose people do find it hard to find us but when they do, they get it straight away. They walk into the room and it kind of clicks with them. Um, and I suppose we're a hybrid between an online shop, but bricks and mortars then, because most people don't just, you know, add to cart a diamond engagement ring. They will do their research online. They come to us via Instagram, Facebook, our website. They book their appointment and then they're able to come in and it's a very personal service. It's a one-on-one consultation where they can see the products and try them on and ask all the questions that they have. And we give them as much information as they need. Because with all the talk of retail and the changes in retail, the experience is very much, and you haven't got 
fluorescent lighting. You haven't got tiles. It's lovely carpets, nice lighting, lovely decor. We're sitting in lovely uh, chairs and so on. So that's very important part of the proposition. Yeah, that was one of the motivating factors to move. While we loved our little shop on Kieran Street and it served us so well over all the years, that's exactly it, John. I felt I wasn't able to give that experience to couples. You know, there was many couples travelling from around the country to us and we weren't able to let them sit down and um, have that memorable experience because it's a huge part of somebody's life to, to make this purchase and we want to make it uh, positive and an experience that they're always going to remember. Now, you mentioned, you know, weddings and engagements are central to your uh business that whole thing came to a um stop during the pandemic what did you do fundamental challenge to the business did you go off and make banana bread and kind of put Laura Matt on 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 hold how did you last (laughs) I lasted I did actually make one loaf of banana bread I will admit I lasted about three days at home and the weather was really good I remember Um, this was back in March March, 2020 seems like a long time ago I think was it the Monday the 15th of March or around then that we closed um it's I think everyone will remember that day um I we lasted three days and came straight back to work behind closed doors and we were still answering emails from customers. There was a lot of customers that had weddings coming up that were up you know in the air wondering what was going to happen straight away we got in touch with all our customers that had wedding rings on order and said don't worry we're going to look after your rings there's no panic on paying off on them uh, we'll see you when we see you when your wedding is going ahead we will look after you with your wedding rings and um, so to put customers at their ease in this moment of uncertainty was paramount to us first um, and then we started looking at how do we reach our customers now how do we keep the business going you know this isn't just the end we have to adapt very quickly to these challenging circumstances Um, and in the back of my mind over the year previously I had been doing a little bit of research on home try-on engagement rings that I had seen being done in the States and I thought this is the perfect opportunity for that Um, as you can see behind me we have a case full of engagement rings and many of those rings are samples and they're made up in silver and cubic zirconia which we can then offer to customers we can make them in any metal of their choice with any quality diamond with any size diamond if they want a coloured stone in it so the samples prove really useful to show a customer the setting on their hand so I had all of these samples sitting in the cases uh, while we were closed and I thought let's develop a home try-on service for people who were maybe just after getting engaged or now that they had time at home might get engaged and have time to be looking at engagement rings but couldn't obviously make it into a shop and so we rolled it out fairly quickly Um, I actually had a mentoring session through the local enterprise office with James Burke who I know you'd you'd have on your show show, yeah Yeah. and he was fantastic he really kind of uh, spurred me on loved the idea of it and said you have to act fast so we did we worked really really hard um, and got it rolled out in the May I think it was two months after and it proved so successful Um, and we've had stories of uh, couples who bought their engagement ring through our home try-on we rolled it out to our wedding rings and eternity rings and the same couple have availed of the service for wedding rings so it's it's been really successful um the whole area of uh the climate crisis and so on is hugely uh, important it impacts every business a business like yours wouldn't have been one that i would have thought would undertake quite big changes and engagement rings are are diamonds which are a natural resource it doesn't seem there are many 
alternatives to a diamond, but there are. Tell us about that. So, yeah, during the course of lockdown, um, we were getting inquiries from customers um, looking for laboratory-grown diamonds, um, which are diamonds. They're, there's two types of diamonds. There's diamonds that are mined out of the earth and then diamonds that are created in a laboratory. Both have the very same composition um, and all the same characteristics. It's just where they are formed is the only difference. Um, so customers started asking me about laboratory-grown diamonds. We had been hearing of them for a number of years, but they hadn't been as prominent in the marketplace as natural mined diamonds. So again, during lockdown, when I had a spare second, we were doing more research because one thing we want to be very um, conscious of is the information we give to customers that we're open, transparent and given the correct information and given them all the, the right options. Um, so I did a Zoom call with the, the leading distributor of laboratory-grown diamonds. He's based in uh, Antwerp in Belgium, which is a hub for, for diamonds. diamonds. Yeah. Um, and I had lengthy conversations with him. He's now become our main supplier for laboratory-grown diamonds. And it's just, I've seen such a shift in consumer demands. They're Consumers are now looking for laboratory-grown diamonds, not based just on the value, but the circumstances behind it, the ethical, the sustainability, um, the transparency and the tracing methods of lab-grown diamonds is, is much more prominent, I suppose, than natural mined diamonds. So while we have demand for both, there's been such a huge increase in demand for lab-grown diamonds. So... It's a word we always put kind of quotes around on, on our programme. You've pivoted. And indeed, uh, Laurie Mash has been shortlisted for an award in a pivoting business yes. class in the Kilkenny Business Awards. Tell us about that. Yeah, we've been uh, really lucky to be nominated for the best business pivot during the pandemic for the Chamber of Commerce Awards. And I think that night is coming up on shortly on the 12th of March. So we're really looking forward to that and delighted to have been shortlisted for it. Well, Rita, thank Thanks for welcoming us here today. It's it's fantastic and best of luck to you with and everybody involved in Lorimar. Thanks so much for having me, John. Great to get out and meet uh, Rita Shanahan during the week and looking forward to meeting loads more businesses on the ground in the coming months because business is getting back to normal and with me to discuss that on the line is Colin Ray and Ray is from uh, Ray's department store in Bagnallstown involved in a lot of things including Bagnallstown Area Chamber of Commerce and Tourism. Good morning to you Colin. Good morning John, how, how are you? Not bad and how's everyone out in Bagnallstown in business? Everyone, everyone is good. Um, thank God, we're delighted to see these restrictions being lifted again. Um, so, please, hopefully, it's upwards and onwards. I think, think for everyone now at this stage. Yeah, I, I was just struck listening to my uh, conversations with various people during the program. We've been through a hell of a, a two years, and and really the enormity of the changing and the pivoting and the adaptation and the resilience. We're only going to really realise that, I think, in the coming months and years. Yeah, it's, it's been some experience. Um, it's something, something to tell the grandkids, I suppose, <laughs> in years to come. But it has been a tough time, I suppose, mentally too for people. Um, but as I said the last day I was on your show, businesses, business people are great because they're used to pivoting, they're used to having to change. And I think the, the, that's come true more than ever in the last in the last two years in particular. Yeah, and speaking about grandkids, uh, your business that you're involved in, Ray's Department Store, was actually founded by your grandparents. So um, through the generations, uh, very important, and business has changed. How did your business change during COVID? So 
look, I suppose we were, it was last, I was just listening to Rita there as well, I think 15th of March, she was saying we were closed, and the retail, retail or non-essential retail, so pretty much, like herself, we all went home for a couple of days and then said, geez, what are we going to do? <laughs> um, now, for look, we had an online platform already that I'd built a year previously to that. Um, so I was lucky that way. I didn't have to get a website developed. Um, so I got onto that straight away and just kept adding, adding more products and promoting it through all the social media channels. And um, we, we got sales through it and... I suppose it's all about getting your views up as well on, on the website. Um, and we started doing deliveries then as well, something that we wouldn't would never have thought doing before. But as I said, look, times that were in it, you just did did what you did to keep open. And it's funny, it's it's we've definitely been rewarded with it because we've seen last year we had a great year. And despite being closed for five months, sales were very, very strong. And I think people appreciated it keeping the keeping the service going and, and having an option in the town because the five kilometre rule meant they couldn't they couldn't really go to anywhere else to shop. Yeah. Um, so you know, so look it was it was important from a financial point of view, we weren't obviously making a whole lot of money, but at least we were we were providing a service and um, people really appreciated that. Yeah, we we heard so much about shopping local, staying local, you know, supporting local and all that sort of stuff. Do you think after the enforced localness, really, of what we've been through, that the appreciation of local uh, will continue and that there is a future for, you know, bricks and mortar retail, blended retail, local retail? Oh, 100%, yeah, and especially in the country towns more than ever. Um, like the, the country towns were going downhill for a long, long time, um, and you would have seen like my generation. I'm in my mid thirties. They, they wouldn't have probably went into the family business and said, "No, no, look, I'll take the easier job in in, in Dublin or, or wherever, you know," and um, they would have better benefits, etc. But I think this has changed the ball game. The fact people can work from home now. You can be you can be on a Dublin wage. You can be on a London wage. Living in Kilkenny or living in Bagnestown or Carlow, you know. So it's changed. It's changing the landscape, and it's probably going to even out. I suppose the economy too. That it's not this thing of a Dublin wage is probably going to be kind of extinct. It's kind of going to even out as a national wage, which is which is a good thing really for for the whole country. You know. Yeah, every cloud, and and when you know, I would have been talking over the years about you know future retail, future of um, towns outside of Dublin, and so on. We couldn't have imagined that uh, the silver lining of COVID would be a shot in the arm for all that kind of stuff. It is, but the only problem is it's probably going to inflate prices down in the country areas too. Mm. Like I know house prices, for instance, are, are really starting to skyrocket. And I think a lot of that's been driven from people coming back from the UK. Yeah. And they're, they're still earning the UK or London wage. So it's, it's interesting what's happening at the minute too. Yeah. Um, so and on this programme, we've been talking about uh, global trends like, uh, you know, supply chain, cost of transport, inflation, all that kind of stuff. You're you're involved in wholesale as well as retail. You're on the front line of, of transporting goods around the world, um, price inflation and all that. Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, so basically two separate businesses outside the department stores. That's the family business. And then I started up a wholesale and eyewear about nine years ago. It's called Magneticos Eyewear, magneticos.ie and Two or three years later, then I started doing sportswear or sports accessories, and that's uh, orwear, orwear.ie. 
And basically, my, my business model is I, I import from China and Pakistan. And when the goods hit me, then Ireland, I look for distributors or wholesalers to basically spread spread the goods around the country. Um, and I suppose the interesting point of the thing is I'm a retailer and a wholesaler. So trying to see the mat word, trying to keep everyone's margins along the whole chain or supply chain is is been hugely difficult. Um, and I know it's been well publicised in the media with the percentages that the containers have gone up by. Um, but it's been really tough to, 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 to keep them margins. And, and I think the, the other really tough part is the, the, the courier rates are going up and down, up and down. Now, they have steadied since October, November. So at least that's something that you can, you can guarantee your price. Um, but it's, it's, been a, it's been a real challenge, and I'm not going to lie about it. Yeah, well, Colin, I know you're also involved in Bagnallstown Area Chamber of Commerce and Tourism, and I'd love to talk to you more about that maybe another time, but unfortunately we've run out of time. Just finally, um, I get the sense, though, despite challenges of inflation, supply chains and all that, you're feeling pretty upbeat about the future. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely I am. Um, I think I think it's a, this COVID is over, um, please God, and there doesn't seem to be the same fear. The vaccines have worked. Um, so I think people people just need to move on now with their lives and, and try to get back to doing what we were doing two or three years ago. And um, as the economy is in a really good place at the minute. So it's just a matter of, of punching clever and um, right, right, right with it, I think. Yeah, well, look, great to talk to you, Colin. Thanks for joining us this morning on The Bottom Line. Yeah, you too, John. Thanks, Thanks very much. Uh, that's Colin Ray of uh, Ray's department store in Bagnallstown and also hugely involved in Bagnallstown and Area Chamber of Commerce and Tourism. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Any comments or questions, email us at thebottomline at kclaura96fm.com or if you'd like to listen back to the show or any episode of The Bottom Line, just search for our podcast uh, The Bottom Line on KCLR on the Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify or on the KCLR app. If you'd like us to visit your business, do get in touch. Thank you to all our guests this week, Laura Slattery, Margaret Kirby, Rita Shanahan and Colin Ray. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks most of all to you for listening. Edward Hayden is up after the news at 10. We've got lots of great music and chat, news, sport and local information for you throughout the weekend. We'll be back next week, just after the news at 9. In the meantime, have yourself a good week. Stay safe and stay tuned to KCLR. Keep it real and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.